Oh, welcome back to Between the Cones, new podcast going up here on Sunday. We're getting a little bit of a head start on this Saturday night. Um, and for this for this pod, we're going to split it up into two different sections. We're going to go a toadless uh, first section, just because I feel like uh, most people in league are kind of sick of the toads talk. Um, and I feel like my, me as a player for the toads, um, I want to be as non-biased as possible when uh, filming or when uh, recording this. So we're going to go ahead and split it into two different segments, uh, league, and then we'll finish off with just a little bit of toads talk here. And we're going to start out right away with a question. And that is regarding Predators quarterback Jack uh, Quinga. Now, Jack Quinga had an MVP-type performance, no doubt. And, um, I mean, he threw for eight touchdown passes. So when you look at Jack Quinga, what stands out is, I mean, he went 17 of 34, which is good enough for 50% completion percentage, Right. Eight touchdowns, only one interception the entire game, and had a QBR of uh, 111.4. I mean, this guy was on target. Now, here's where the question comes in. Would you buy Jack Quinga for the rest of the year putting up these type of numbers? It's a very valid question. All right. First of all, Landon was blessed with a great matchup against the 69ers. And let's not forget, Ryan Zier, as talented as he is, he was only targeted a couple times throughout that game. Now, bless his heart, he did catch those targets, but most of those balls went Landon's way. So what happens when his first option is covered by somebody like, uh, like a Paul Schmidt or like a Bryce Baumgart? where Landon won't be able to absolutely torch the defense and Jack Quingle will be forced to look somewhere else. I think it's a very valid question and a question that plays into this boomer bust type thing. Now, me personally, I think Jack is, he's sporadic, let's say. He puts up fantastic numbers against some teams and then other teams he kind of disappears on. So he'll be on target one game and then the next just nothing which is just fascinating to me because to be completely honest with you if someone that sporadic is is offered to me as a boomer bust I'm always going to take the bust on it just because I trust consistency over the boom factor so there's my two cents on Jack Quinga I think that he's very talented he obviously had a great week one but we're going to have to see where he goes moving forward. And this next week against the Toads will be an excellent indication of uh, how the rest of his season is going to go and whether it'll just be a couple games here and there that are really good and then a couple that just aren't. Moving on here, we're going um, to move over to the Vipers. Now, the Vipers came into this year as one of the best teams in league, arguably the top two team. And um, they lost week one to a team called the Toads. Now, I'm going to ask another question here. Is it time for the Vipers to push the panic button? And I don't say that because they lost to the Toads. It was a great game, and they only lost by three. It was down to the wire. And they obviously have the talent to keep up with just about anyone. 
My question is, is how severe is Hudson Shields' injury? Now that is concerning to me. Hudson is the team's quarterback. He's the team's corner against uh, some of the more aggressive wide receivers in league. Some of the bigger guys. And if his leg is no good, who's throwing those balls? And more importantly, you're putting Matt Yeager in a position as either defensive tackle or cornerback where someone that is taller could easily expose him. Now, no disrespect to Matt. I think Matt is one of the best route runners in league. He's a great receiver. But if you're the Vipers, you do not want to have Matt on defense 24-7 because teams will find a way to get a bigger body in there and basically just throw some short routes or some deep routes towards that guy and use their height as an advantage. So if Hudson's leg truly is no good, I think that it might be time for the Vipers to hit the panic button, especially this week if if it doesn't turn out so well. They might be in for a long season. We're going to go ahead and uh, take a break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to hit up uh, my opinionated uh, top five QBs in league. Remember, no toad talk, so uh, Mr. Owen Fleming won't be included in there um, just because I don't want to be biased. Um, and then um, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the 69ers and um, a little bit more of some opinionated questions towards you guys. Hey, Sunfins fans. Cole Fleming, quarterback for the Sunfins. Just want to give a special thanks to Odell for our sponsorship. Thanks. Go Fins. All right, let's get moving uh, forward here. We got this part two going on now. Um, thanks for waiting through the break there. Um, and real quick, we have an interview with Dylan Brown, uh, the 69ers quarterback on the way. I think it'd be appropriate to um, kind of preview uh, him. Uh, Dylan came into this year, for the most part, um, people thought he was washed. And rightfully so, he, he hadn't played in nearly two years. Um, and it was just, uh, people didn't think that he had what it took anymore. And they didn't think he was motivated. Dylan went out and, for the most part, silenced most of the haters week one. As, you know, he's second in the league for uh, passing touchdowns at six. Uh, he's got a top three QBR and really just went out week one and just studded out. Uh, despite all those efforts, the 69ers lost by uh, three points, uh, 63 to 60, to the Predators on Monday night. Um, and we're going to be joined by Dylan Brown right now on the show. Um, so here he is. Hi, I'm Parker Lanzak from League Game Day. And on game day mornings, I make sure I get ready with Old Spice body spray and deodorant. Jack. Dylan, thanks for joining us on uh, Between the Cones, a new uh, new podcast-ish uh, thing going on here. So thanks for taking time out of your night to join us here. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, for those of you that are listening, we're talking with 69ers quarterback Dylan Brown right now. And uh, Dylan, we're just going to talk some some uh, stats real quick and, 
intro into next week here. Um, you played a pretty pretty good game uh, this past week um, against the Predators at McClumpha Park. You, you threw for six touchdown passes, uh, completed just around 45% of your passes, uh, which was 15 of 33. You had a QBR of just around 105.9 and then one pick. Um, where do you see that you can improve your game moving forward? Um, honestly, just decision-making. Um, being back out there for the first time in a while playing, I was um... – I was just really looking for the deep ball. So um, just the biggest thing would be um, being more patient in the pocket, uh, trying to let the routes develop a little better. So for some, for someone that lost their number one receiver, the guys on your team really stepped up as uh, Ben Rupay is tied for third in the league with seven receptions. And then, of course, uh, Caleb, the Caves Johnson, uh, with four reception touchdowns that game. Um, where do you see them improving, and what did you see out of them week one? You know, I was very impressed. Um, none of them had played league before. I was very impressed with the way that they showed out. I just think – I think we just need to clean up some things. Um, you're just very, very rusty. So, I think once we get um, once we get everything ironed out, I think we'll be very good. Well, your offense is absolutely potent. I mean, despite – I mean, you lost by three, but all the same, you put up 60 points, and if not for Land and Brenny scoring seven touchdowns, um, you guys win that game. Is the confidence still high there with the 69ers team? Oh, yeah, we are – we still have the confidence that we can win this whole thing. Uh, we, just, we just need to get a better defensive scheme. That's, that's all we need to do, really, I think. And in all of our minds, I think we just need to clean up defensively. So uh, going into this next week, a little bit of a preview. Uh, you guys face off against the uh, the Sailors, who are won their week one game uh, against the Sunfins. What's going to happen there? What are you guys looking out for? Um, the biggest threat they have um, offensively and defensively is definitely Posh. So I think uh, just limiting him to limiting his touches – uh, I think that if we can do that, we will win this game handily. How important is this game to your guys? Is not only your morale, but just to recovering this season. Oh, this is this is absolutely um, a must win. Like I hate to I hate to have to say that week too, but this is a must win for us. And then I also noticed um, via your Instagram, your team Instagram, that you guys made some moves uh, as far as the uh, coaching department. Uh, you guys signed Dominic D'Angelo as your head coach and Cameron Cobasso as your uh, strength and conditioning coach. Um, you also put a very uh, graphic message uh, towards the Sailors stating that they are, and I quote, fucked on Monday. What are your thoughts on both of those things? Um, yeah, honestly, I found out about that on Instagram. Um, I was at work and I saw that someone liked my picture and I hadn't posted anything in a while. And I saw that we had hired um, Dominic D'Angelo and Cameron and we sent that message. So, I'm pretty sure that that was Caleb that sent that out, but <laughs> the uh, the message, I still agree with the message. You, you do back the message, though. I do back the message. Uh, any predictions on, on what's going to happen besides uh, that you predicted that you guys are going to win? Anything else? Um, No, not, um, I don't really think anything else matters other than getting a win. All right, well, thanks for joining us here, Dylan, on uh, Between the Cones, and uh, best of luck come Monday. Thank you, Jack. Uh, good luck to the Toads as well. Hey, thank you. My shoulders carry a lot of names. Some I deserve 
and some I don't, and some that are kind of true, but the only name that matters is my own. One thing my shoulders will never carry is dandruff. That's why every game day before I go catch passes for the Vipers, I use head and shoulders. Uh, welcome back. Between the Cones extended look here, previewing week one. Um, we're just going to dive into the second part here with uh, a simple question once again, and a little bit of an opinion as well. And that question and that opinion being, does Posh Testa, the Sailors wide receiver, deserve more respect? Now, it's a pretty simple question. And it's a pretty simple response. Yes, of course he does. I mean, let's be completely honest, all right? We're being completely honest with ourselves. Posh studded out when he played against the Sunfins last Wednesday. Studded out. The guy is... Here's the thing with Posh. is Posh is not the most athletic guy but he just finds separation and he has the hands and just the stupidness to go make plays. He is willing to dive if it means that he makes a catch. And for the Sailors, they needed that. They needed that. Ex- just it, it transforms their entire offense because it gives them a, a wide receiver number one now for Nick Mattioli to throw to. And that's why I think that Posh deserves a little bit more respect. He had three recept or he had three um, touchdown catches against the Sunfins week one. And I think that those numbers are just gonna grow. Now, the counter argument to this is well, yeah, Posh is good, but he played against a cornerback too from the basically the second quarter on in Wednesday's game after the Sunfins lost Evan Good for the game. And although that is completely valid, you look at the other guys that he matches up against, which is Michael Crusoe also had three touchdowns. One of the league's best wide receivers also matched his total. On far more receptions, by the way, as well. Michael Crusoe had 13 receptions week one for three touchdowns. Posh isn't even in the top three, isn't even in the top five of players for receptions through week one. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. He was the number one target, didn't get thrown to a lot the entire game, but when he did, he made plays. He made deep plays. He caught the ball when he needed to. I won't stand for any Posh slander. The guy flat out star studded that game he won the game for the sailors the reason why the sailors are 1-0 is because he had posh testa catching balls and let's be completely honest here with everyone all right nick mattioli was not doing him any favors mattioli completed 28.6 percent of his passes that game 28.6 dead last in league minimum 25 pass attempts dead last and he still caught three touchdowns won the game that for me tells me everything you want to know about posh and how he deserves more respect 
Now, the interesting thing that we will see moving forward is will Posh put up those same kind of numbers, same kind of plays, same kind of game results when he's going up against true cornerback number ones? Because it was a battle with him and Evan Good for a while in that first quarter. So will he put up those same kind of numbers when he's up against cornerback ones from different teams? When he's staring Paul Schmidt or or hopefully Hudson Shields in the eyes when they play the Vipers, is he putting up those same kind of plays? And that has yet to be seen. Because let's be honest here, Posh has always been a number two receiver. And it's his time to start. This is his team. This is his opportunity to be a number one receiver, be the guy for the Sailors. That, for me, tells me everything I want to know about Posh Testa. Because the Sailors' success hinders on Posh's ability to make plays. If at the end of this year, the Sailors are 1-6, you know it's because Posh couldn't handle the pressure of going up against cornerback ones. However, if the Sailors are in contention for a playoff spot, you know damn well that that's Posh catching all those balls and putting them in that position to succeed. Oh, let's see. What else do we got here? Another opinionated thing. We're going to talk top five QBs in league. Now, I don't want anyone to get too butthurt over this. All right. I specifically did this non-biased because I didn't want to put Owen, the goat Fleming, as number one on my list and be ripped apart for it. So we're going to do top five, no toads involved. Because frankly, I think the toads have the top two. But that's an argument for another between the cones. Top five QBs in league. Let's list them off right now. Um, Now, this is going to be difficult. I didn't have this pre-written or anything. So we're just going to roll with it. So number five coming out of the gate, I think... I, I And I hate to say this too. You know what? I, yeah, honestly, number number five, I think, is probably Nick Mattioli. I think Nick is a very talented arm. He's got a good vision for the field, but I think just some of his throws end up being uh, a little bit sporadic, a little bit outside of the norm. So I'd put him probably dead last right now, just based off of numbers alone. Uh, four, I'd put Cole Fleming. Cole is hurt by the loss of Evan Good week one, no doubt. But uh, he just wasn't making those big plays that he really needed to uh, in order to win that game. I think that that kind of falls on him. He needs to he needs to get better. He needs to better himself. He needs to take this a little bit more seriously in my eyes. Number three, I'm going to go with uh, Jack Quinga. Now, this is the one that's going to get a little bit of a hate thing. With Jack Quinga, he threw the ball out of... He threw the ball the most out of any quarterback week one. I mean, the guy damn near threw the fifty uh, threw the football 50 times. So, of course, you're going to put up that kind of numbers when you're throwing it that much. Especially when you have Landon Brenny on your team. So, I need to see a little bit more of Jack Quinga using his other targets before I rank him higher than three. He's talented, no doubt. But as we mentioned earlier, a little bit iffy on if he can do that day in and day out. And we'll see this week if he can against the Toads. Now, these final two is where all the hate's going to come in. Number two, I have Hudson Shields. Hudson put up good numbers week one. 
solid numbers against a pretty good defense. I mean, if you look at Hudson, Hudson played pretty good. He had four passing touchdowns, which ranks, it's tied for third. Um, I mean, he had a QBR of 123, completion percentage 78. He played good. I just, it's a little hard for me to view Hudson when he is surrounded by that much talent that he is. And I know that that sounds bad. And I know that I probably shouldn't judge someone because of that. But because of that, he's going to be number two on my list. Just because of the fact that he does have Michael Caruso, Matt Yeager, and Paul Schmidt to throw to. That is why I believe that he's number two on my list. And that means number one on my list, non-toads, is Dylan Brown. Now listen. Now listen, now listen. Dylan Brown worked week one with three guys that haven't played league in damn near as long as he hasn't. He worked with Ben Repay, who hasn't played in damn near two years. He worked with Josh Gilmore, who's been on and off, has not finished a season in a while, let me remind you. Played a couple games last year, and then he played with Caleb Johnson, who is just so green. If he was any greener, he would look like the marijuana that he smokes. I mean, the guy is raw. He's good, no doubt. But he is raw as hell. Total rookie. Dylan Brown worked with all those guys, still managed to put up 60 points with a team that didn't know the league rules and went up against an established league team in the Predators. Threw for six touchdown passes, completed damn near 50% of his balls. Only one interception at a QBR of 106. 120 adjusted rating. And went 15-33. For me, that is why Dylan's number one on my list. The ability to do it with anyone that you're surrounded by. And put up 60 points. Put up that kind of numbers. It makes sense to me. Now, I know what you guys are saying now. Yeah, you know, I know he threw the pick to Landon Brenny, the pick six, that ultimately lost him the game. But for someone that hasn't played league, hasn't played backyard football, hasn't touched a football in two and a half years, two and a half years, that stat line is absolutely ridiculous. Completely. And that, for me, is why Dylan's number one on my list. The ability to put up those kind of numbers... That kind of stat line. And, you know, with guys that haven't played in years slash ever. So that concludes our third segment here. We're going to uh, move on to our uh, fourth. Um, And that is the Toads segment. Now, the Toads segment is interesting. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about them. Yes, I realize that the that the so-called league account has uh, posted a little bit about them, as I've heard, just, just slightly. Um, and I realize that I can be biased because I do indeed play for the Toads. So I'm going to keep this as non-biased as possible. And it'll be a quick segment. So, 
the Toads this offseason added a, a lesser-known entity to the league, someone that's never played before, and that is Cody Bartos. And as someone that played that game and saw Cody play, I can tell you right now he is going to be an issue for people. All right? Cody betters that team in almost every single aspect. With the run offense, he's able to block anyone in league, anybody, five yards back, push them back. And in a team that runs the football 65% of the time, oh my God. I mean, teams should have packed extra underwear before they go out and see him come running at him off a pole. Because I can tell you, a good portion of defensive tackles are going to be pissing their pants. So, I mean, big Cody, man. I mean, and, and he also showed the ability to catch the ball. He had a touchdown over one of the best corners in league, Paul Schmidt. A touchdown. Someone of his size. I mean, for me, I think the Toads are going to use him just the right amount. Put him in a situation in which he's he's comfortable in, uh, in that run offense. And I think that he's going to better that team um, moving forward. Uh, my second part of this Toads segment involves uh, Bryce Baumgart. Um, and this is a, another of, or I should say, the final opinion. Um, and that is that I think Bryce is by far the most uh, diverse and kind of like a switchblade type player uh, in league. In the aspect where he is able to play anywhere, anything, anytime for however long he's needed to. Bryce Baumgart didn't miss a snap that entire game against the Vipers. Didn't miss a single snap. Kickoff, kick return, defense, offense. He played everything. Now that is something that you do not see with everyone in the league. Couple players, I'm sure. But to play that much and be that number one option on offense, defense, it's unheard of. And regardless on what you think of Bryce... The guy can play anywhere. I mean, he completed four of eight passing. He's not even the quarterback. Four of eight passing. Guess how many touchdowns? Four. Four touchdowns. Four completions. Oh, my God. That means every time he had a completion, it was a touchdown. Not only that, he also ran for almost 100 yards and somehow got two touchdowns receiving. Name me another player that is doing that. I'll stop you right there because you can't. Because it doesn't grow on trees because Bryce Baumgart is just that special. Moving on here, we're going to talk about Owen Fleming. And I guess this is kind of an opinionated thing, but if you are paying attention, it really isn't. And that is that Owen has aged like fine wine. Owen Fleming went through this entire offseason without throwing a ball or lifting a weight. And he went out week one and absolutely balled out. Pick, just picked up a ball the day of, stretched his right leg, stretched his left, and basically just went out and beat one of the better teams in league. That is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. 
I mean, he threw for he threw for two touchdowns, or he threw for one touchdown, received another. He had two sacks, and he fits the mold just perfectly. That Toad's offense does not run as smooth without Owen. He went eight of fourteen. Pretty solid numbers, complete about 57% of his passes, zero interceptions, not a single one. I mean, I just I think that I think that the Toads are still, and like I said, I could be biased, but if you just are looking, and I'm trying to look non-biased here, they're the team to beat right now. I mean, the team just they gelled together despite the second half collapse a little bit. They gelled together when it mattered. Another thing about the Toads, and you can't say this for every single team, is that everybody on that team knows their role. And that is something that you simply do not see anymore. Is that teams that everyone, every player is okay with their role. You see Owen being okay with taking a limited stat line if it means that his other players can get those stats and end up winning the game. You see Cody Bartos being okay running a couple routes a game and for the most part blocking guys and making them eat dirt. You see Bryce being okay with taking that bigger um, role on offense and defense. And you see myself being okay being the second option and giving up some of my offensive playing time to Cody Bartos who does what I'm supposed to do a lot better than I do it. Not every team is that unselfish. Not everyone is like that, and that's why the Toads win. That's why I think that they're going to continue to win. So there is my Toads segment, and that concludes Between the Cones weekly review. Um, And I do appreciate uh, everyone who uh, stood the time and, and listened. We'll... These will start to be coming out on a weekly basis here, and uh, we really do appreciate it. Um, as listeners, uh, they make this thing possible. So thank you very much for listening, and this has been another edition of Between the Cones.